Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our great and gracious God, today we stand here, God, in need of you, in need of a word from you, God, in need of a reminder of who you are, and God, how much you're the God who reigns in control and who reigns in our hearts and in our lives. God, today, open our eyes to you, open our heart to your word, and challenge us and truly change us to become more and more like Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Um, There's some moments that you stand in awe, moments where you stand in wonder. I don't know about you, but I've had the opportunity to travel to some places and see some pretty neat things. And this morning what I want to do is I want to take you on a journey. Our first image is coming up on the screen, and that is that of a mountain. Who in here, this is the audience participation part of the sermon to make sure everybody's awake. Who in here is a mountain person? Like if I could go anywhere on vacation, I'm going to the mountains, okay? We got some sort of participation. So the mountains is a beautiful place. The mountains is one of the places where you see the vastness of creation, the beauty of creation, and can reflect on the greatness of God, the mountains. Second place is my favorite place, the beach. Who in here is a beach person? Summer's almost here. Next weekend, that's where probably 98% of y'all will be. But as you go there, as you think of the beach, you see God's beauty. You stand in awe of the ocean. The ocean's one of those places where I feel closest to God because you see God's power and God's might. Another place that I haven't been is the next image, and this is the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon is one of those places where you can't stand there, I'm sure, and not be amazed at how large God is and how great God's beauty is and God's vastness. But what happens for those people that live there? Imagine the people that live near a mountain, the people that live on a beach. When the awe and the beauty of that becomes, excuse me, ooh, becomes a yawn. The awe becomes a yawn. The beauty, the greatness, the vastness just becomes something else that's in the background. It's something that is just mundane. It just becomes part of your everyday that you just kind of miss the awe and miss the beauty of. Check out this next image. This is an image that we're all familiar with. A picture of Christ on the cross. This was once a moment that inspired awe for us. This picture represents a story that at one time brought you to your knees. A story that led you to a place of personal brokenness over your own sin and your own shortcomings before God. A story that led you to a place of deep awe, deep repentance, and deep worship. But the sad reality for many of us as we live our Christian lives, or if you're like me and you grew up in church and around this story is that the cross loses its wonder. The awe descends into a yawn. The greatness of the gospel message goes from something on the forefront of our lives that defined everything about us to something that merely is in the background as we continue to live our lives as we want. This series through Colossians, we're seeking to simply rediscover Jesus. The invitation is to stand once again in awe of Jesus in the great redemption that he brought us to the cross. And this morning, we're going to continue that series. 
And my hope and my prayer for you is that if you're in a place of the yawn, that that yawn becomes once again an awe. That we stand again in awe of this great God because as we look at this text, we're going to ascend a mountain. Not the mountain in the image of the mountain you go on vacation to. We're going to ascend the mountain of God's word and this mountainous picture of a Christ who is above all. A Christ who is greater than all. A Christ who is preeminent above all. And this morning we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 20. And if you have a Bible, if you would turn there, that would be great. And through this text we're going to see one thing. We're going to see that Jesus reigns supreme over all things as our creator and redeemer. We will see that Jesus reigns supreme over all things as our creator and redeemer. We live in a culture where many people find themselves in a constant battle to be number one. It could be your sports team and the hope to be number one. It could be the week a few weeks ago when for some reason the whole world began to care about boxing for the Merriweather-Pacquiao fight. It could be that you want to be the number one salesman. It could be that you want to be the employee of the month. As a student, as a graduate, it could be that you want to get the highest GPA. In the midst of a culture not so unlike our own, Paul writes these truths to the Colossians that redefines how we view number one. Colossians chapter 1 starting in verse 15, reads this way. He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn among all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, And in him all things are held together. And he is the head of his body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn of the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So we begin to dive into this passage today. One commentator said of these verses, that these are the most closely reasoned presentation of the supremacy of Christ anywhere in the Bible. We're getting ready to go up a hill, getting ready to go up the mountain and see the Christ who is great and above all. And that begins with verses 15 through 17 where we see first and foremost that Jesus is supreme over all creation. Jesus is supreme over all creation. Go to that place in your mind whether you're at the mountain, whether you're at the beach, whether you're at the Grand Canyon, and you take in the greatness of all that. There are not many people that stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon and think about how awesome they are. Oh, I have a great resume. My 401k is great. My GPA was awesome. They stand there and realize how small they truly are. The Jesus who we worship, the Jesus who we're looking at today is supreme over all creation. He stands above all those things and controls all those things and created all those things. And he is supreme over his creation. We see how that works out in the following verses. In the beginning of verse 15, it says that he, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the unseen God. 
Jesus is the image of the unseen God. The word here in Greek, eikon, which is the same word from which we get icon. So we see here a picture of Jesus being the icon of God, Jesus being the physical representation of God. One of the privileges I have as a student minister is to be able to go to Atlanta on a mission trip to International Village. One of the coolest things to me about International Village that fits with this is we go to a Hindu temple. And as you walk into a Hindu temple, you see different types of gods that are all lined across the front of the room. You have the God of money. Let's say you're having financial issues. You go give money and worship the God of money. Let's say you're having, wanting to have children. You go give money to the God that gives children. Let's say you want to have success in your business. You go and you worship the God of success with the hopes that it'll all work out in the end. And it's really sad to watch people come and worship in that Hindu temple, realizing that all those gods really can't help them. But if we're honest in our life, we do the same thing. We have a line of gods. Jesus is one of them. Our career is one of them. Our success is one of them. Our GPA is one of them. Our sports team is one of them. We have this whole list of gods that we worship and that we bow down to that are lesser gods. It's money, popularity, success, our social status. Yet Christ is saying here in the midst of a plethora of possible gods... Jesus stands not as one God among many, but the Lord over all. In John 1.14, we see this picture of Jesus coming. And it says this, And the Word, speaking of Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. We want to see God. A lot of people think their life would change if they could see God. I would trust God if I could only see Him. If I can only see God, it would prove to me that he is real. If I can only see God, I would give my life to him. We don't have to ask to see God. We've seen God through Jesus, and we can study God's word, and we can see Christ as God in the flesh. We can learn how Jesus would act. We can learn how Jesus would walk. We can learn how Jesus would interact through his word, and we can seek and get to know this Christ, who's the image of God. John 1.18 says this, No one has ever seen God. The only God who's at the Father's side, he has made him known. Allison read this verse earlier in the service and said this, Long ago, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become much superior to the angels, as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Jesus is the image of God. Next we see in the second part of verse 15 that he is the firstborn of all creation. Jesus is the inheritor and rightful owner of all. Jesus is the inheritor and rightful owner of all. The word firstborn here does not indicate that Jesus was created. It indicates that Jesus is the inheritor, that he gets the rights and the privileges of the firstborn son. Um, I don't know if you've ever received an inheritance. Um, I received an email this week 
about a great inheritance. It was from a guy who was the in charge of the government in some country. I had to Google to make sure if it still existed. And he said that there was a guy whose name resembled nothing like birdsong that wanted to give me thousands and thousands and millions of dollars. All I had to do was send my birth, my, my social security number and my bank account number, and this lost relative would hook me up with this great grand inheritance. That's obviously a scam and not the kind of inheritance you'd want. You'd really want if you could get it, but it's a scam. And so in that inheritance, Christ is given an inheritance that's much greater than that. Christ given an inheritance that's legit, an inheritance that's real, and Jesus is the inheritor and rightful owner of all. Verse 16, we see this, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him. Next we see that Jesus is the creator of all, regardless of location, visibility, and status. Jesus is the creator of all, regardless of location, visibility, and status. He created heaven and earth, things that are seen, things that are unseen. He created thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. These things we think have lots of power in our world, presidents and governments and all these other things. Christ stands above them all as their creator. Jesus is over all things. And he created all things. But it doesn't just stop at his creation. The end of verse 16 says everything was created through him and for him. Jesus made all creation for him. Jesus made all creation for him. This is a truth that we often miss. When we see in our world a bunch of brokenness, when we see people attempting to fill a hole in their heart, a hole in their life that was made for the creator. We exist on this planet because we were made for God. And our only true longings for happiness, joy, and completeness come in a relationship with Jesus, our Redeemer. Seniors, as you go off to college, you're going to see people trying to fill this hole. Whether it's through parties, whether it's through popularity, whether it's through choosing to compromise in many ways, people are going to try to fill a hole in their life. But French philosopher and theologian Blaise Pascal said this, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any creative thing, but only by God, the creator made known through Jesus. There's a hole that only Christ can fill. And the temptation is going to be to assume that Christ is not enough to fill that hole. And that's when we fall and that's when we fail and that's when we come back and realize that our hope and our life and true life and true value and true meaning is only found in a relationship with Christ. The Westminster Catechism put it this way, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Jesus made all creation for him. Our only hope and our only true life is found in that. Next, verse 17, we see, and he, speaking of Jesus, is before all things. Jesus is before all created things. Jesus is before all created things. Jesus has the ultimate status. He has the ultimate power. He has the ultimate priority. 
And as creator, he reigns supreme. Jesus doesn't play that game as sitting of one God in a room of many. Jesus Christ is all or Jesus Christ is nothing to us. Jesus is before all created things. He's on the number one on our list, number one in our life. He's before all created things. And the second part of 17 says this, and in him all things are held together. Jesus sustains all things. Jesus sustains all things. The fact that you and I have breath in this moment is only a gift from our great and gracious God. He holds everything together. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what's in your heart. I don't know what's in your head. I don't know what may have kept you up last night. But this is a truth you can hold on to today, that Jesus sustains everything. That though your world may feel spinning out of control, though a phone call this week may have redefined your life as you know it, Jesus sustains all things and he will sustain you. In the first three verses, we've seen this picture of Jesus standing as supreme over creation. And in the second half of this section of scripture, we see a shift happen from the created world to the church. And we'll see this, that Jesus is supreme over his church, whom he redeemed. Jesus is supreme over his church, whom he redeemed. Verse 18, and he is the head of his body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In Acts chapter 1, we see this picture of Jesus ascending into heaven, and he leaves this command for his church who he's leaving behind. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Jesus' work in the world did not end with his ascension into heaven. He continues his work in countless ways through me and through you as we, his spiritual body, the church, move and act as his hands, feet, and heart in the midst of a dark and dying world. We're Jesus' body here, here to make an impact, here to make a difference. First part of verse 18, we see that he is the head of his body, the church. Jesus is the head of his church. Jesus is the head of his church. As the head of his church, Jesus is the one that leads and guides the body. Jesus is the one who leads and guides the body and stands in control of his church. When you think about a head in the picture of the body of Christ, we realize that the physical body of Christ is no longer with us. Jesus ascended into heaven. But he left his church to image him to the world. In Genesis 1.27, we see in the picture of the initial creation of man, we see that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We're to image Christ. An old preacher said it this way. You're the only Bible that some people will ever read. What if someone's only interaction with Christ was an interaction with you? Are you pointing people to Christ? Are you reflecting the image of Jesus? Because Jesus is no longer here. 
Jesus is sitting at the Father's right hand interceding for us as we seek to follow him and make a difference in the world. But are you doing that? And that continues in the second part of verse 18. He's the beginning of the firstborn from the dead. Jesus is the beginning of the work of resurrection in the world. Jesus is the beginning of the work of resurrection in the world. This is the reason we're still here. We're to join Jesus in bringing new life into dark places. We have a work of sharing the message of the gospel that brings life from death, that opens blind eyes to see, causes dead hearts to beat again with the very hope that they were made for. We have a great mission. We have a great story to tell. That Jesus opens eyes, that Jesus changes our lives, and that Jesus leaves us here to make a difference in the world. Are we working to bring about this resurrection? Are we working to share new life in Christ so that as the Holy Spirit works in us, we see dead people come to life? We see blind people see again. We see change happen in our community. We see change happen in our world. I know some of you sit here and look at the state of our world, the state of our schools, the state of our community, and wonder, are we headed in a direction we don't need to head? And the reality of this is that God is raising up a people to live out this new kingdom of Christ. God is raising up a people, a resurrection people, who go and make a difference in that world. Are you part of that? Is your life centered around that? Because the reality is, one moment you're going to close your eyes in this life and open your eyes in the next, and what matters in that moment is truly the only thing that matters in the end. Jesus is beginning his work of resurrection in the world, and are you a part of that? In the last part of verse 18, we see that, that in everything he might be preeminent. We see that Jesus is preeminent. Jesus is preeminent. This word preeminent is only used one other, only used this time in the Greek of the New Testament. It's a word that stands on its own. Christ is not in a category with anyone else as number one. Christ stands alone as the one who is preeminent. He's in a category all his own. He can't be compared. He can't be contained. He cannot stand as just another God or option of a God in the midst of our spiritual buffet. Jesus is preeminent. And in verse 19 we see that Jesus is the fullness of God. Jesus is the fullness of God. Verse 19 says this, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. When we look at Jesus, we see the face of God. A little further down in the book of Colossians, Paul says this in verse, chapter 2, verse 9, For in him, speaking of Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwelled bodily. Jesus is the fullness of God. And then last in verse 20, we see that Jesus restores his creation by his blood shed at the cross. Jesus restores his creation by his blood shed at the cross. Verse 20 says this, And through him, speaking of Christ, to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The cross, Jesus did not simply purchase your personal salvation and redemption. He purchased salvation and redemption for the whole world. That there's going to be a moment when the broken pieces of our lives, the broken pieces of our world, our broken hopes, our broken desires, all those things are going to be put together as right again. And there's hope 
in the fact that Jesus is coming back. That's the day we long for. That's the day we hope for. In the book of Revelation, in chapter 21, we see this picture of what's going to happen on that day. And it says this, verses 1 through 5, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said this, Behold, I am making all things new. God is in a business of making all things new. God is in a business of putting broken pieces back together. And it is as Christ reigns supreme in our life, as we focus our life to do his will, to be about his work in the world, that we begin to see that kingdom come through us. Two questions before I close. First, does Jesus reign supreme in your life? Does Jesus reign supreme in your life? Look at your schedule. Look at your bank account. Look at your priorities. Look at your family's priorities. Does Christ reign supreme? And last, does your life image Jesus to a lost and dying world? Does your life image Jesus to a lost and dying world? I tell students all the time, eternity is real. This book is true. We believe that that should radically affect everything about us. Are we living in a way that when the world looks at us, they see Jesus? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you're the one who reigns preeminent, that you're the one who is sovereign over all, and you're the God who is number one. God, help us to live lives that reflect that. God, help us to mirror you and image you to a lost and dying world. God, help us to join you in your plan of redemption. God, today let us evaluate our priorities. Let us evaluate our hearts. Let us be real before you. And God, that you would use us in great ways for your kingdom and for your fame. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.